So, I've got a short uh, message, um, and then we're going to do communion together uh, as, as a church family, and um, because I just think that that would be such a great way to celebrate Christmas together, just remembering what Christ has done uh, for us. But have you ever had a really, really big expectation for something? Anyone? Where you're like expecting, maybe it was a gift, maybe it was an event, maybe it was a movie, you know, and anyone have ever had that big expectation and it was going to be a little while later and the anticipation killed you. It was absolutely terrible. I mean, we have a wonderful couple right at the back um, who had to, well, Mitch had to wait for a little while. And um, it's kind of funny, isn't it, that, you know, Mitch proposed to Sarah just a couple of weeks ago. And um, I think it was kind of funny because, like, whenever someone is proposing to someone else, they tend to already know the answer, right? You know, it's not like you ask the question and it's like, oh, that's it's a 50-50 chance here. You know, you would normally propose because you're pretty sure that this is going to work out. But how many know that even though you know what the answer is going to be, it is still nerve-wracking to have to wait and to be anticipating what is going to happen. And, you know, I was thinking about it. What is it about anticipation that drives us insane? What is it that really tugs at us? And I think it's because our imagination really goes in overdrive. We start to imagine what this event, what this uh, um, maybe gift, whatever it is that you're waiting for, we start to imagine what it's going to be like. We imagine how we're going to feel. We imagine what song the birds are singing. We imagine the weather on the day. We imagine all of these things and we come up with a perfect picture of what it is meant to be. For me, movies, uh, when you build expectation up about movies, it, it, that's, that, that, that gets really difficult for me. You know, I, I haven't watched Spider-Man yet. Don't ruin it for me. Uh, but I have heard that it is amazing. And the anticipation level for me to go watch this movie is all the way up here. And so I'm imagining that this movie is going to blow my mind. The story is going to be complex but not overdone. And, you know, it, it's going to have funny moments where I'm rolling on the floor laughing, and then it's going to have other moments where I'm crying because the main character, I don't know, dies, or something like that. You know, there's all of these things happening. And so I'm like, man, I really want to go watch this. I want to know what happens. I want to know if my imagination and this movie is going to match up. And then at the same time, because I've built this expectation up, I'm also really worried about watching this movie. I don't know my expectations are too high. Anyone ever went to a movie where everyone got your expectations all the way up there and then you went and was like, uh, I don't know what movie you watched because that was at best average. It, because when we have our imagination telling us that this is the way that it's going to be and that it doesn't end up that way, it's kind of disappointing, isn't it? And you know, this can happen for any gift, this can happen for any event, this can even happen if you're waiting for the Messiah. And, you know, this was something that I was thinking about. You know, do you know that Jesus came and he was born at a very volatile time in history? He was born at the start of the Roman Empire. And, and, and he was born uh, in Israel. He was a Jewish man. And uh, the Jews had basically just had 
their own king, their own Jewish king for the first time in a long, long time. They were called the Hasmonean Empire, if you want to, if you're a bit of a nerd and you like that kind of stuff. And, and, and so it was like, this was kind of somewhat a fulfillment of what they thought God was promising them, that they would be their own people, they would be their own country, and it was really great. But then the Roman Empire comes and takes over the land, and the Israelites were once again under foreign rule. And in that time, they, they were probably wondering, when is the Messiah actually coming? You see, for the Jewish people, the Messiah wasn't just, you know, we have the beauty of hindsight. We know that it's Jesus. We know that, you know, is a baby born in a manger and all those wonderful songs that we sing about Jesus. But for them, it was like all they had to go on were the prophecies that were given to them by the prophets that we call the Old Testament. Let me read to you some of these prophecies because I want you to... Think about how you would be anticipating the Messiah. What comes, to, what, 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 what comes into your imagination? How would you think the Messiah would be? Isaiah 7 verse 14 to 17 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. And then a couple of chapters later, we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, For to us a child is born, to us a, child, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then there was another prophecy in Micah 5 verse 2, and it says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, even though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And what you need to understand about Jewish culture is that these uh, people... They grew up, their whole study was based on the Word of God. They memorized it, especially the men. They would have gone to school and they would be memorizing Scripture. And all of these prophecies that uh, I, I just spoke about, the, 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 the men in, in Israel would have committed it to memory. And they would be quoting it, meditating on it, because when you commit something to memory, you have to repeat it over and over again. And the words in these prophecies are pretty strong, right? It's not like, and the Messiah uh, will be kind of average and normal, and um, you might or might not be blessed by Him. No, no. 
The prophecies were pretty out there. You know, he is going to be born and the government is going to be on his shoulders. He will reign forever. He will bring peace like never before. And Israel will be restored. And so the hope of all Israel were on these prophecies. They would have built up in their imagination what it would be like for the Messiah to be born. That's what they were hoping for. But I wonder, because they were anticipating and hoping for the Messiah for so long, possibly about 400 years, I wonder after a while whether some of them got a little bit disappointed. They was like, oh, is, did, did the prophets eat something wrong and write all this stuff? I mean, it's kind of crazy. I only read three prophecies. There are plenty more, and they're all by different people, and they all kind of fit together in this amazing way. It was pretty clear that this was part of God's plan, but it's not happening. So what do we do about the fact that we are waiting for the Messiah that has been promised by God but nothing seems to have happened about it. What would you do if you were in that place? And so when I think about this, I kind of think about the day that Jesus was born. I would think that it would be a day filled with fanfare. It would be an amazing day of celebration, except it wasn't. It was extremely normal. You know, we have all of these nativity images, all of these stories, all of these epic songs that we sing year after year, and it makes us feel like, wow, what an amazing night. I wish I was there to see the birth of Jesus, except it was extremely normal. Even though Mary was a virgin, she wasn't going around telling everyone, I'm a virgin, I'm about to give birth. She wasn't advertising the fact that this was what was happening to her, because she would likely have been killed because they were saying that she was an adulteress. And so she probably kept the story kind of under wraps, and she goes with her husband or fiancé, depends on how, what possibly happened between there, and they went to his hometown of Bethlehem because a census was being taken. Now, Bethlehem is a backwater town. It is not a nice place. It is not like going to... Peppermint Grove. You're probably looking at past Rockingham. And I, it is this backwater little town that no one thinks much about. Beck and I were in Israel about seven years ago, and, and we were looking at our itinerary, and we're like, oh man, we're not going to go to Bethlehem, you know, the place where Jesus was born. And the tour guide was like, yeah, there's nothing there. <laughs> 2,000 years later, the place is still terrible. There's, there's nothing there is a tiny little town. There wasn't a parade for Jesus when he was born. It was a tiny little town, and no one really was waiting or anticipating or understanding that something miraculous had happened. I mean, the only ones who actually rocked up were three wise men who weren't even Jewish. They studied the scripture and they somehow determined that this is how it's all going to happen and they sought out Jesus. But the people who were actually entrusted with the prophecies did nothing to seek out the Messiah. 
it kind of tells you the level of disappointment that they were carrying, doesn't it? That they didn't even think about or seek out the Messiah. They were maybe done with this, but we don't know why, but they, they weren't there. And then the only other group that, that we know of that celebrated Jesus was the, was the shepherds. Shepherds were like low-class people, no influence. And the only way they knew about the birth of Jesus was because God sent a flock of angels to sing to them. And I was thinking about this, right? It's like, God, if you were going to send the Messiah, why don't you send flocks of angels to all sorts of people? Why don't you have Jesus born in Jerusalem where the government actually sits? Why don't you make Jesus' birth more spectacular than what, it, than, than what it was? It's kind of an interesting thought. And, and, and something else that I found out is that, you know, the nativity scenes that you see is kind of somewhat romantic in that it's this barn, right? You have this, like, really barn-looking <laughs> structure, and then there's hay all over the place, and then there's a little manger, and and you have Mary, Joseph, Jesus, and a bunch of animals. And it's a little bit of a romantic scene. It's kind of like, oh, that's kind of quite special. Except that is likely not how it was really in the first, um, on the day of Jesus' birth. And we get that because in Luke 2, verses 6 to 7, it says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. The word guest room, um, some older translations put it as in. Um, And so the picture that we get in Western society is that, yeah, they traveled to this town of Bethlehem and they tried to look for a place to stay. Um, But then the inns were full and so they just found some barn and they had Jesus there. Except there's not a great translation of the word um, guest room. In fact, it's better translated upper room. You know, Christians, if you think about the time that um, uh, Jesus had the last supper with his disciples, he said, go into the town and look for an upper room where we can have the last supper. Same word. You see, what happens here is uh, some people just mistranslated. They didn't really get it. And I want to show you a picture of what um, um, a first century Israelite house was going to be. So you can see that more, more often than not, there are two stories. And the upper room is where the humans live. That's where they stay. The lower level, that's where the animals are. And so they keep all their uh, sheep, goats, whatever else they have there. And that's on the lower level. And so what would have probably happened is that when Mary and Joseph went to, remember this, this was Joseph's hometown. So he likely had relatives over there. And when he has relatives in the culture, the Israeli culture, is that if you have a family member, you must show them hospitality. You must house them. It was actually really shameful if Mary and Joseph went to an inn. It would have been pouring shame on his family. That was just not done. And so probably what happened is that because everyone was in Bethlehem because of the census, Joseph's family house was really full. The upper level was full. There was no more room. And they, so they made some room on the lower level for Mary and Joseph to stay. 
Why is that important? Probably because Mary and Joseph weren't so much surrounded by animals as they were surrounded by family. That's likely, culturally speaking, the more likely way that it would have turned out. See, Jesus, we, we, we kind of think about Jesus' birth, and, and I think the whole barn story makes him look like the underdog. And it was just kind of like, you know, you know, oh, poor Jesus, born in this barn with no one. No, no, no. He was with family. He was, looked up, he, he was born like any other child. What I'm trying to point out here is that the birth of Jesus was so normal, so normal, that no one took notice of it. There wasn't a parade in Bethlehem because a little baby was born by a virgin in a barn because there was no room in the inns. No, it was another kid was born in Bethlehem, full stop, in his family house, full stop. And why I'm pointing this out is because remember that there was this anticipation that God was going to do something that God had promised something, and that was this waiting, there was this expectation that God is going to bring the Messiah. But yet the circumstances of the fulfillment of the promise are so normal that the people that were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise did not even know that it happened. And I think that is very much like how God works in our lives. We often wait for God to do something that is so spectacular that we cannot help but think, wow, God, thank you for all that you've done in my life. When I think that what often happens in our walk with God is that it's the normal things that take place that we don't even know or think to be aware of. And yet God is using it to bring about the fulfillment of his promises. As we step into a new year, I know that the world that we live in is a little bit crazy. And I know that there's a lot of disappointment. I know there's a lot of like, God, what are you doing? And what I felt to bring this evening, when we think about Christmas, is that we're not waiting for a spectacular miracle even though God can do that. But we're just simply trusting that even if things are normal, or what we think is normal, God is at work. Even though the breakthrough doesn't seem to be happening, even though I am feeling low, maybe depressed, maybe anxious, whatever it is, God can and is still at work. And so we can get the band up this evening. If we can get the host team distributing the communion. If you're not comfortable with having communion this evening, that is completely fine. Just let the host team know. But I feel like what we need to do in this moment is to have just a moment to go, God... I don't know how you're going to make this work. I don't know how the fulfillment of your promises are going to take place. And yes, there is perhaps some disappointment that I'm carrying because I'm still waiting. But in this moment, I'm going to trust that God, you have 
and are at work in my life. And why we do communion is because we remember that Jesus has already accomplished what the Messiah was prophesied to accomplish. He conquered death, He conquered sin, He's opened up a way for us to have life and life eternal. And He is at work in ways that we do not see. He's at work in ways that we do not know. And the fulfillment of those promises, God is always faithful. And so if I can get everyone just to close your eyes for a moment. Can I ask you just to have this moment with God and perhaps have this conversation? If there's any disappointment, if there's anything that you are desperately waiting for, can I encourage you that God is at work? Perhaps in ways that you think is far too normal, maybe far too slow. Can I just encourage you that God is at work? When you're ready, why don't you take the bread and why don't you take the cup? Jesus, we thank you that you came and you lived, died on the cross for our sin and that you rose again to conquer death and to open a way for us to have life and life eternally. And God, I pray that we will learn to continue to trust you, to place our hope in you, that even if there are times of disappointment, there are times that we are sick of waiting, God, I pray that we look and we see that you are still at work. So we thank you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. You know, I ask for the team to just lead us in... O come, all ye faithful, one more time. I just love that line, O come, let us adore him. Can you imagine what it would have been like if people knew about the birth of Jesus and they knew that he was the Messiah? I think what they would have done is exactly that. Even though it was in this backwater town, even though it was in these really normal circumstances, they would have gone, there is something special about this because God is at work. And I hope that what people would have done, I hope that what I would have done is that I would say, let me come and adore him. So let's finish off with this carol together. Why don't we stand? Thanks so much, Ben. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.